want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, let's begin reading in verses, or verse 1, we're going down through verse 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do what is right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of, one, of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes If revenue, then revenue. And if respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. I don't know how you feel when you kind of bring up uh, the news webpage that you look up on a regular basis. But here's what happens to me. I find that my heart is often saddened and troubled by the kind of news that I read on the internet. By circumstances that occur around the world. Uh, one thing that struck me, I think it was this Monday or Tuesday, there was a, a shootout. And this, this, it, where we live, this is like, seems crazy. A shootout amongst a, a large number of people in Mexico in which 13 people died. That was on Monday or Tuesday of this week. When I read something like that, that saddens me. It makes me grateful that I live in a country where, you know what? <clears throat> For all of the weaknesses of America, of which I, of which I believe there are many and I believe, many and I believe they are mounting. Okay, for all of that, I'm grateful that I live in a country where there is a basic rule of law and where that's understood and accepted by uh, people in government and it's understood and accepted by many people within our culture. Not everyone, of course, but by and large, we live in a country where the rule of law is present and we should be grateful for that. The text that we're looking at this morning answers this question. How should we as Christians live Under the rule of law. Okay, how should we respond to governmental authority? What is the Christian obligation? How can we be good citizens? Because the thrust of this text goes after this thought. Be, as Christians, good citizens. All right, Don't don't be known as the negative people. Don't be known as the critical people, as the troublemakers. Be known as good citizens who are firm in their moral convictions. Okay, but but are also known as loving, honorable, honest, good citizens. Now, as I go through this text, and hopefully this happened to you this morning, as I've read through the text, hopefully it raises a lot of questions in your mind. And my aim this morning is not to answer all the questions that are raised by this text, because there are far too many to address in one sitting or discussion. I'm not going to raise the question of whether or not the Christians should have uh, supported the American Revolution or issues such as gun control. Or is it right or wrong to pay taxes 
to a government that sponsors activities that are contrary to God's word? Or to what degree should we express our convictions and concerns as Christians? Is it okay to picket and protest at an abortion clinic? And do we have an obligation to do so? When should a Christian disobey the law, if ever? Okay, those are questions that they put, as you read through this, there's a rub. In, in your mind, as you read through this text, what are you thinking? Well, it says that all the, all the governments that exist are established by God, speaking, I think, in a transhistorical fashion. All governments of all times, at some level, had the fingerprints or hand of God upon them from a sovereign perspective. That raises very large questions in my mind. No government is perfect. Okay, no country is governed by perfect people. But that doesn't mean that as Christians we have any excuse to dis disobey the government because we have this or that disagreements. We have an obligation from God to be honorable, good citizens. The setting of this text is written to people that live in Rome. Not a, uh, not a, not a nation in which Christianity was the majority by any stretch. It's likely that by the time Paul writes this, Nero is the emperor. He is an infamous problem with little redeeming qualities. And that's important to this text. He burnt Rome and blamed it on the Christians as a political move to make himself look good. He burned Christians at the stake, fed some to lions. He was a reckless and cruel man without boundaries, was known for assassinating members of his immediate family, because he was afraid that they might take his place of rule. That was the guy in charge. Folks, can I, can I say this? We've never had someone like that leading in our country. With that, that uh, if you will, resume, with that history. God's called us to be good citizens. He's left us here in the country that we live in. For a purpose, he has told us in this text how to relate to human government as the people of God. How to be salt and light where God has called us to live. So the, the theme of the text emerges in the first part of verse 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authority. So <clears throat> the text in, it, in the broadest sense is about authority. In the narrow sense, what is the text about? All right, it's about governmental authority. Paul's talking about Nero. We're talking about the United States Congress, the United States Senate, the United States President, okay? Local authorities, uh, national authorities, okay? The text has its, its main focus, authority in general, but I think you can take the principles and boil them down at a practical level to every area of life in which you and I live under authority. And as we respond properly to God-ordained authorities, we are in that sense being good citizens, salt and light. In a fallen world. So let's work our way through this text and see what principles and uh, observations we can make. The first one I want to make is from verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. No condition on that statement whatsoever. All right, so it's a call on a broad level for Christians to live in a way that is being subject to or in, in submission to established authorities. Okay, the idea of being subject to literally means to line up in your place. Okay, find the position that God has called you to be in as a citizen of the United States of America. Stand in that position for the honor and glory of God. Okay, so first we find in the text a call to submit to authority. The call goes to Christians without exception. 
Let everyone be subject to. Okay, so that's the first premise that's laid out. And I think this idea of submission throughout Scripture takes on this idea of doing it with an honorable attitude. Okay? So that it's not always with complaint and always with a negative spirit, but it's with the positive attitude because that obedience is obedience ultimately to God. This idea of submitting to authorities is from God. And what I want to do this morning is make the focus of our discussion not on what we're called to do, i.e., verse 7, paying our taxes. Okay? I don't want that to be the focus of our attention. Okay, the focus of our attention should be the who behind what we do. Why do we as Christians honor and obey the government even when it's imperfect and at times immoral? Why? Because God's the one that called us to do it. Okay, and that needs to be the focus of our attention as we look at these responsibilities. So there's a call to submit for the honor and glory of God. Our call is to be a a bright light in a politically charged world world. Here's the way Peter said, said it. Peter said this. He said, let every one of you be subject to the governing authorities for the Lord's sake. Okay, and I think that's a, a powerful qualifier that in our fulfilling our God-given responsibilities as good citizens, as unto the Lord. Okay, that's the, that's the motivation, not the people you're serving. They're all imperfect. Or you can find flaws and problems with every one of them and you can create out of that flaw an excuse to live in disobedience to God. And I think this text calls us in a very clear way to take the position that God has called us as Christians to be in. Secondly, verse 1, second half and verse 2. It says, submit to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, this peels out in two ways. The authority that God has established, I think at one level, is the idea of human government. Okay? It's, it's, it's at least that. But I think it's more than that. Okay? I think it also involves the individuals that God appoints to those positions in His sovereign plan that often I have to shake my head and say, God, I don't understand this. I mean, there's no way to look at human history and not shake your head and scratch your head saying, God, I don't know why you did that. But you did. God appointed people, raised up Pharaoh, raised up Cyrus in Assyria. That's the hand. That's the work of God. So what does this mean? Okay, what does this text mean? I think it means this. It means that we should submit because government and the governing officials are divinely established by God. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, talking about Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. Okay, here's what God says. He is my shepherd. Raised up for the purposes of God for the nation of Israel to lead them back into the promised land. The king of a pagan nation is raised up by God. I think it is a clear fulfillment of this text. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Think of another leader, Pilate. Okay? Pilate. How many of you like Pilate, the Roman governor that condemned Jesus to death? I don't. How many of you have ever thought of the fact that he was put in that position by God for that time, for that purpose? 
You know what Pilate says to Jesus? He says, Jesus, you know, he said I could let you go. Jesus' response to Pilate is this. Pilate, you would have no authority unless it was given to you by God. That text stuns me. The one who is condemning the Son of God unjustly was put there according to the words of Jesus by God for that moment. Now let me stretch this out a little bit. Okay? If, if, if the authority of kings is put there by God, and if, if the Gospel of Luke says that not a bird falls to the ground apart from the Father's decree, will. Okay, what does that tell you? It tells us that God is sovereign in a way that is way beyond what I can understand. That he's in charge of a bigger plan and a bigger picture in which he wants me to submit to governing authorities. He's in charge of it in a way that is way beyond anything that I can understand. This question comes to mind. What about bad leaders or bad authorities? Them? I think as you study through scripture, you're going to find the resounding answer to that question is, yep, even them. Which means that God has established government and authority structures of all kinds. And let me just give you a list of the kinds of structures that God calls us under. He gives the structure of government, of employer-employee relationships, in marriage, in homes, parental authority, in the church, in school, in relationship to police officers, in coaching. Okay, what what does a Christian teach their children? A Christian teaches their children that they should be in submission to the governing authorities. Find your God-given place under that authority and honor Him in how you submit to it. Why? Okay, that's the question that comes to my mind. Why would God tell us as Christians, okay, to honor the authorities that He put in place? Verse 2 gives us the answer to that question. Here's what it says. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Okay, now I find the reason for this call to submit to every authority. Why? Because resisting authority is resisting God. Okay, that's the parallel that Paul draws here. So, as a child, as a young person, I might say, I think my parents' rules are pathetic. I don't like them. Therefore what? Well, if I don't like them, I'm not going to obey them. Okay? You can do that. But here's what you need to understand. Rebelling against parental authority is rebellion against who? God. Because the authorities that exist are established by God. In an exhaustive way. You might driving down the road, and I've been convicted as I've studied this. You might be driving down the road saying, you know what? That speed limit sign, I think that's ridiculous. I don't like that number. Uh, that offense, it, it's inconvenient. And what do we tend to do? If I ignore it, who am I ignoring? It's kind of set on me. Okay? I'm ignoring God. Because the authorities that exist have been established by God. Which means what? Okay, what does it mean? Here's what it means. It means that my relationship to governmental authority is not a secular issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's not an issue of my mind and my rationale and thinking whether I like or don't like. It's a matter of the heart. 
1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. It says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Our submission to authority in every sphere of life is a matter of spiritual life and walk. And so sometimes what are we doing? We're tolerating an unspiritual perspective in certain areas of our life while maintaining good behavior in other areas of life. And what do we feel? Well, in, you know, we're, we're like the people that we say try to get to heaven by good works. We're like the, try, the people trying to have the blessing and favor of God in their life by doing enough good. While tolerating in our lives things that, let's be honest, sometimes we've got to look and say, even if I don't like that tax code, if I think it's confiscatory, if I think at some levels it steals from me, it doesn't give me the right to violate it. It's there by God. Okay, it's a spiritual issue. My response to human authority then is what? It's my response to God. My response to visible authorities is a response to the invisible authority in my life, right? I think it's the direction that Paul starts to push here. And that's the reason why he calls us to to submit. God put them there. Your response to that authority is your response to God himself. Let's make just a couple of observations then real quickly from this text about the authorities. Because this, I think, is what will, will help you. And if, if you ever end up in a leadership position, in a government position, I think it's important that we understand this. Verse 4. It says, For the one in authority, who, according to verses 1 and 2, were put there by God, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Okay, if you go down to the to the. The end of the verse, it says, they are God's servants, agents of wrath. And then verse 6, it says, the authority are God's servants. How many of you feel like you live in a country where most political leaders think that they are there to serve? Okay. How many of you as parents? How many of us, honestly? see our leadership in our home as an act of service to God and others. Not as the exercise of authority. It is that. There is a divinely placed structure. But how many of us see that, that function, that management in the workplace as service? See, what has this text done? It's flipped the whole thing upside down. I don't think Nero woke up in the morning and looked into his polished metal mirror and said, you're a servant of these people. No, what was Nero about? Nero was about himself. So what's the first kind of statement about government that emerges here? It says, they are God's servants or God's agents. Verse 4 says, they are there to do good. All right, that's their job. That's their task. That's their God-given responsibility. So it boils down in something like this. Leadership is service which is a transformational truth. That's the way Jesus came, didn't he? He came as Lord of heaven and earth and served us. We always think in what? Well, he washed the feet of the disciples. He served in so many ways, ultimately in the giving of his life. Parents, you function in your home as the agent of God. Why? Because when your children are younger, they don't have a heart to know and understand God. God gives you light to understand Him and know Him. And then what does He do? He deploys you into the context of your home to be His representative, His agents. 
to serve your children. Okay, so leadership is this idea of, of service. It's in the place of God as God's agent or representative. But it also means this. If I'm God's servant or God's agent, it also means this. It also means that I don't get to write the rules. But I get to put into play the rules of God. That's true for human government as well. The job of the government is not to create morality. The job of the government is to live under the morality that God has established. We live in a culture that says what? Uh, the, the government needs to stay out of the bedroom. The government needs to stay out of this, stay out of that, right? You can't legislate morality. Okay? Say it a different way. You can't legislate without morality. You can't. God gives moral principles that government should function by. Okay, government doesn't get to write the rules, no. Why? Because they are the servant of God for the good of the people that they serve. That's the way government should work. And the sad thing is that we live in a culture that is doing what? It's rewriting the rules. And I don't mean this as a political statement. It's true on both sides of the aisle. Where moral boundaries are being rewritten, where issues of sexuality and marriage are being redefined. It's not the job of government. The job of government is to establish the laws that honor the moral principles that are clear in the Word of God. They are not the people's agents or representatives. Now that may sound weird because what do we live in? We live in a democracy where we have a representative government and the people in government are to speak for my voice. Right? That's what we say. In a in an immoral world or in a depraved world, is that really the best form of government? Okay? Because we have a problem in America. Laws are starting to change because of what the majority wants. What's the problem? What the majority wants in very specific cases is contrary to what God's Word teaches. So we live in a country that has devalued life itself has legislated the capacity to take life of unborn children. Right? That's not the job of government. The job of government is to protect life, to establish order, and to punish those who do wrong. And so I think as you read through a text like this, you realize they are God's servant. What does that mean? Their job is to function under His authority. Why? Because He's the one that put them in that place. So do you see the connection? Verse 1, the governments that be are established by God. Therefore, they are there as God's agents and servants to do His will. That's what we should expect of our government officials, and it's what we should be praying for from our government officials. They are God's representative. And I think one of the things that we as Christians need to come to grips with is this very simple truth. Legal does not mean moral. Okay, just because the government allows something doesn't mean that it is right to do. Moral is defined by God, not by the majority of a country. Okay, so when we as Christians live our lives, what do we have to realize? I'm ultimately under God's authority. And that is the authority that should rule and reign in my life. All right, second observation I'll make from verse 3 and verse 4. It says, for rulers do not hold terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Beginning of verse 
4. It says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for terrors do not bear the sword in vain. Verse, end of verse 4. It says the, that, that, that they are God's servants, agents of wrath. Okay, so you find three words that kind of come together that help us to begin to understand the role of government. All right, what is one of the roles? It is there to be a restraint to evil. All right, through <coughs> discipline, through codes of law and punishment, what is their function? Their function is to establish a, a protected society in which evil is punished and driven out. Okay, why is that the case? All right, why did God establish human government as a restraint on evil? And here's the answer. The answer is because you and I are basically sinful people. And when I say sinful, I mean this. I, my typical wake up in the morning is not get out of bed and think, I wonder what I can do for people today. As the first thought on my mind. It's not the first thought on my mind. The first thought on my mind in the morning when I wake up is my needs, my desires, and what I want. That's, I don't have to sit there and say, Tim, just start thinking about yourself now today. I don't have to do that. That comes naturally. It comes naturally to everyone. Romans 3 says it this, says, it's this way. It says, we all go our own way. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all turn aside. There's none righteous, not even one. That's why we need human government. Folks, do you understand why there are speed limit signs on the highway? Even though you and I may dislike them and find that they slow us down and they hinder our progress and are, are getting to where we want to be, do you know why there are speed limit signs? Because the roads you drive on would be utterly unsafe if they didn't exist. Why? Because the average person driving down the road isn't thinking to themselves all the time, how can I be a blessing to others? How can I protect others? What are most people doing? They're thinking about how they can get from point A to point B the fastest way possible. Because life's about me. Right? So what does God do? He establishes human government. Their job is to establish rules that protect society, and when people violate the rules, their job is to punish it, so they stop doing it. Fairly simple. The powers that be are ordained by God. If it wasn't, I, I thought of this as an illustration, if it wasn't for the restrictions on drinking and driving in America, what would happen? I think you would have chaos on Friday and Saturday nights. I think that's what would happen. The fact that there's a law causes people to modify and restrain their behavior. And people need laws like that. They need a penal code. Because otherwise, what would we do? We would tend to defer to our own selfish desires. And I don't say that as a criticism of people on the outside of the church. It's true for all of us. Those boundaries and standards, those regulations and codes are there for the good of the population at large. And the government is to be a terror, it's to be a sword, it's to be an agent of wrath to those that ignore the law and act in disregard for others. Now, okay, are the laws a good thing for Christians? Yes. But what's the best law for Christians? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, what is human government doing? Human government's job is to seek to move us towards the ideals that the Word of God establishes. And when we honor those rules and those boundaries, we honor the one who established them. 
And, and when you read in verse 4, when it says, the government does not bear the sword in vain, what it's saying is that the government has a responsibility to punish those who do wrong, even up sometimes to the point of death. Swords were not for spankings. Okay, they were for killing. And the government at times has to exercise that higher degree of authority. Which answers going back into chapter 12, doesn't it? Don't take revenge. Leave room for God to act. For he has said what? Vengeance is mine. I will repay. How does God do it? In time. You know how he does it? Through human government. Okay? So God's saying, don't, don't be out there vigilantes, Christians. Don't get that reputation. Be people that trust God, who trust the establishment of God-ordained authority. Verse 5 then says this. It says, therefore, it is necessary. Okay, the outflow of government established by God having certain specific functions. It is necessary, Paul says, to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but because it is a matter of conscience. Now, let me just say this. I think what this text is saying very clearly is this. If we as Christians live as good citizens and and honor the the laws that are established by the government around us, we become light to the world around us. We should be known as the best citizens, the best people in our country, in our community, in our neighborhood. We should be known as the ones that care the most and are most passionate about the things that are right. Not because we'll get punished if we do wrong. Okay, that's a low motivation. All right? If you do what you do because you don't want to be punished, okay, that, that kind of obedience will never transform you. Okay? The obedience that flows from the heart, prompted by the Spirit of God, do this, okay, I'm going I'm to do this, or change this, Tim, okay, I'm going to change this, I'm going to make an adjustment in my life in this area. Okay? It, it, when it's coming from the heart, it, it, it's Spirit-driven, and it will be a glorious result in your life and in your sphere of influence. Submit for conscience sake. What does that mean? So that you can have a clean heart before God and function and live in your world in a way that is effective. It's about Him. So so obey the government authorities. They were established by God. Their job is to punish and to maintain order through that punishment. Okay? And they are God's servants in that role. As they function in their positions, yield to them. All right? Honor them. Life is ultimately about God. And our obedience to government authorities is about God. Our obedience to our boss at work should be about God. A child's responsiveness to their parents should be about God. Not because they have the best parents in the world or the best boss in the world or the cop that pulled me over was the nicest guy I've ever met. Not that. But because life is about God for us as Christians. To exalt Him and to honor Him and to glorify Him. And that is how we capture the attention of a watching world. Now, all the text does then, moves out of this argument about how good it is for us to honor God-given authorities, and then it moves to an illustration of that that comes to April 15th as a deadline. Okay? Verse 6 says this, This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them by God's design. If taxes, taxes. Revenue, revenue. If it's respect, respect. If it's honor, then honor. 
Okay, that's what God expects us as Christians to give to the governing authorities that are present in our life in various places and in various ways. Can we be honest? How do most of us respond to paying taxes? Think about it. How many of you have ever thought of paying your taxes as an act of worship? Okay? Here's what this text says. All of your life is spiritual. Okay? And our obedience to the laws of God is what? If it's done unto him, it's an act of worship. Now, I'm not arguing that I want to pay more. I'm not saying that, oh, if that's worship, then more worship would be better. Okay? I'm not going there. Okay? The other thing I would say from this text is this. The government has a job description from God. Do you know what it is? It's to maintain order and to punish evil. Okay? And what happens to governments? It's not just true in America. It's not true Democrat or Republican. You know what happens? Government tends to grow and get beyond its God-given function. Okay? And I think this text reigns it back. What's the job of government? To maintain order. And that can be, obviously, that can be broadly defined, and then to punish evil. That's the job of government. What happens? It gets expansive and expensive. Okay? I think sometimes we need to get back to Scripture. What does it say about government? Here's the job of government. And our job is to do good to all men, especially to those that are of the household of faith. We pay our taxes because it is obedience to Jesus Christ. Okay? We strive to be good citizens because it is obedience to Christ. Right? You remember when the people came up to Jesus and said, hey, is it right to, to, to give money to Caesar? Jesus says, get me a coin. He pulls up the coin, and what does he say? Whose inscription is this? They say Caesar's. What does Jesus say? You give to Caesar, who is what? He is the example of government. Give to Caesar what he demands. Give to God what is God's. That's what good citizens do. And I realize that we live in a world where our government uh, is weak because it's made up of weak people. I realize often our government does things that are appalling and sad because it's made up of people that are like that. People like you and me. Ask this question. Is it okay to question authority? Yes. But it is not right to rebel against authority. Okay? It's okay to question. But I'm not happy when we as Christians are known as the complainers in our culture. The spiritual issue. Is it ever right to resist the governing authorities? Yes, I believe it is. I think you go back to the book of Exodus and find the women who were the midwives for the Hebrews, right? And Pharaoh said, I want every son killed when they're born. You know what it says? It says the Hebrew midwives feared God. It's not about what, it's about who. Acts chapter 5, the believers are told, you can't share your faith in Christ. What do they say? By the way, we live in in a world where there are many countries. It's the unreported truth. There are many countries in which you cannot share your faith in Christ. Okay, it's true in Malaysia. It's true in Pakistan. It's true in Iran. It's true in most Islamic countries in the world. The way where the sharing of your faith is a violation of the law will get you in prison. And when the disciples were threatened with beating in prison, what did they say? We must obey God rather than man. You don't find that. They don't go on a tirade. They don't flame out. Okay? They, they lay down. What it, the, not, we're sorry. 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 Time out. We must obey God rather than man. 
Okay, so when human authority, every kind, comes into conflict with the ultimate authority, the ultimate authority wins. Because it's not about us. It's about Him. It's not about self-preservation. It's about exalting and glorifying and honor God. Life is about God and His glory. Being good citizens. Being responsive to the authorities that are over me. For a student, it could be in your school. Or for a child, it could be in your home life. For an employee in your workplace, honoring the God-given authorities. Because that honor honors God. It marks you out as different as a believer. And we live in a world that is watching for people that are different. Now, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, here's the connection I want to make for you. Okay? God uses bad governments. God uses flawed parents. God can use a wicked boss. Okay, he can use all kinds of authorities. Think to the crucifixion of Christ. If you and I were there, what would we have been saying? Hey, Caiaphas, you, you, you lied. You can't do that. If I was standing when Pilate condemned a known innocent man, he knew he was innocent and condemned him. What would I have said? Hey, Pilate, you can't do that. And I would, God, you inter- intervene, do something. You can't let that happen. And yet when I go to Acts, what does it say? It says that when Pilate gave Jesus up, what was he doing? He was doing the will of God. And in the circumstance that you and I, if we were kind of dropped back into history, if you watch uh, the History Channel, the story of the crucifixion of Christ uh, last week, if you watch it, there's something in you that, that rises up and says, God, come on, do something. Intervene in this circumstance. And you and I think, what? He didn't do anything. But he did. When, when we look at the story of the crucifixion of Christ, what does it look like? It looks like Jesus is losing. It looks like God is outside of the circumstance and not aware of what's going on because he wouldn't let that happen. No, he not only let it happen, he organized it and designed it for your redemption. So sometimes what are we saying? God, intervene, change my boss. All right, change my mom and dad. Change this. I don't like this government in America right now. Change this. Do something. And what scripture come back and say? He is. He's working through circumstances that you and I would never choose. And the best example of that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. When those Roman officials and those Jewish leaders did what God had planned. That's the way Acts says it. He is that sovereign. So sovereign that he would send his son to bear the price of our sin. So loving as the final ultimate authority that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life because the blood of Christ, even though it was shed in a way that broke laws, it was shed by a man who never broke a law, who completely submitted to the powers that were present and in the end submitted to the final authority in the garden, right? Because in the garden he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in one of the greatest tragedies of human authority and human government, your redemption and your forgiveness was accomplished through the blood of Christ. 
Okay, so you raise, we raise, is what we do. We don't like bad authority. But please understand, bad authority does not limit the authority and power of God. It doesn't. So honor the government. Honor your mom and dad. Honor the boss at work as long as you stay there. Be a person of influence in a democracy, a representative republic. Go out and make a difference. Stand for the things that God has called you to stand for. And realize that he can use the worst government on the planet to do his good and his glory. And Father, as we come this morning to the Lord's table, 